Guardian Unlimited. Welcome to the New Zealand Uncovered podcast. To find out more, visit NewZealand.com. This is Nick Taylor for Guardian Unlimited. I've been asked to fly to the other side of the world and find out a bit more about what awaits visitors to New Zealand. It's a country which everyone seems to associate with spectacular natural beauty, from snow-covered mountains in the South Island to volcanoes in the north, pristine areas of coastland and vast open spaces, wilderness. It's a place where the Maori people, the descendants of the Polynesians who arrived about a thousand years ago, now live alongside the descendants of the Europeans who arrived about 250 years ago. The whole place is a little bit larger than the landmass of the UK and it's home to about four million people, most of whom live in the major cities Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch. And it has an environmental record which is the envy of the rest of the world, as well as being the pride of that nation. Well, here I am in New Zealand, in Queenstown, on the South Island. I flew in yesterday in a small twin propeller plane over miles and miles of wilderness, mountainous country with not really a town or any kind of settlement in sight. Queenstown is probably the adventure sports capital of New Zealand, which must make it, I think, one of the adventure sports capitals of the world. Whatever you want to do here, whether it's whitewater rafting, canyoning, luging, which is a type of carting down very steep mountainous roads, power boating, jet boating, something called surf, river surfing and uh, wave surfing, it's available here. If you walk down Main Street, you're bombarded with offers for parachute jumps, tandem skydives, any type of adventure sport that you could really ever imagine, and a, a, a serious few that you've never seen before. It's enough to make you go weak at the knees, though whether with terror, as in my case, or through excitement will depend on the individual. However, there's one adventure sport that Queenstown really lays claim to, and that's bungee jumping. The first commercial bungee jump in the world opened here in 1983. It's a 42-metre plunge off a historic bridge. But that's still available. You can still do that. But it's since been supplanted by some of the highest and most spectacular bungee jumps in the world. Michelle Trapsky runs the Queenstown Bungee Centre, and I spoke to her about the town's bungee heritage. Queenstown is the home of commercial bungee, and um, that started back in 1988, so we've been going coming up 19 years. What is that first bungee jump? Is it still open now? Oh, absolutely. Um, the Kaurau Bridge Bungee, um, which we call the world home of bungee, because that's exactly what it is. People are really fascinated to come and have a look and see how it all started. Do you think it's a 
especially Kiwi thing to do because it seems like there's more bungee jumping in this part of the world than anywhere else. I think the commercialisation of bungee jumping was definitely a Kiwi thing, I think, because, of course, bungee has been around for a long time and it's um, based on a very, very ancient vine jumping tradition. So culturally it's been around for a long time. What are the other main bungee jumps available? In Queenstown we've got the Nevis, Nevis Highwire Bungee, which we which is the, the highest, the mightiest, the, you know, it's a, it's a phenomenal jump. So that's our biggest jump, and, um, yeah, that's definitely not for the faint-hearted. And then we also have probably what I call the most frightening jump, which is up at the top of the skyline, um, Bob's Peak in Queenstown, which is a beautiful picturesque view, you know, 360-degree view pretty much of Queenstown. So that probably ain't for the faint-hearted either. If ever I'm feeling in a bit of a rut or feeling that it's, you know, what, what, what's going on in the world or need a good shake-up, it's definitely the thing to do. I, however, prefer something slightly more relaxing when I'm on holiday. And there are lots of other activities for those who aren't addicted to adrenaline. There are walking tracks and mountain hikes. And today I'm going to visit the Queenstown Gardens which is a lovely landscaped park on one of the pieces of land that juts out into Wakatipo Lake. The only real boats on the lake seem to be these huge paddle steamers, steam cruisers really, that go past periodically. It looked like they were built about 100, 120 years ago, probably when the gold rush was going on here. When they sound their foghorns, the, the noise echoes around all the mountains. It's fantastic. Apart from that, the only real vehicles that I've seen are helicopters in the sky. It's a bit of anachronism, maybe, but um, I think helicopter tours are available of these dramatic mountains. This morning I left Queenstown and drove west towards the Tasman Sea, across the Southern Alps, which are the mountains that run down the spine of the South Island. And I headed into the Grand Fjords, the deserted southwest corner of New Zealand. Now, one-third of New Zealand is protected as reserves and national parkland and here in this southwest corner four national parks join up to make one area which is now a, a designated world heritage site it's 2.6 million hectares of unspoilt landscape mountains lakes sounds and fjords the two main attractions here are milford sound and doubtford sound which aren't sounds at all actually they're fjords two vast glacial fjords right now in fact I'm on a ship heading into the Doubtful Sound. You can probably hear in the background the engines. I'll be spending tonight on the Sound with about 60 other passengers. What's the name of the place we've dropped anchor? Uh, this is First Arm. And where yeah. are we going to go tomorrow? Tomorrow morning we'll race the anchor here about quarter to seven and then um, cruise back up the fjord um, past a couple of the islands in the inner fjord and then into Hall Arm, which is the, um, the easternmost arm on the south side and we'll head into there and go and turn the engines and generators off and have a little moment of silence oh, for about 10 minutes, actually. Sit there and, and soak up the tranquility and then uh, head back to the wharf by about 10 o'clock. I've never seen dolphins as close up as oh, that. They seem huge. Yeah, yeah so they are huge. Um, because it's, they're so far south here, they usually live in more um, tropical sort of climates, and so being really far south here, they have to be very big and bulky to keep themselves alive down here in the cold waters. New Zealand might be on the other side of the world. But these days, with the standard of long-haul flights, it's really not that far away. 24 hours on a plane may sound like a lot, 
but it's 24 hours where you can sit back, relax, catch up on your movies, catch up on your reading, and snooze. You wake up in such a different place that there's no question that the flight's been worth it, even if it may be a bit uncomfortable stuck at the back of economy. If you've only got two or three weeks, it's well worth the journey. However, some people do have longer, and New Zealand is a very popular destination for backpackers who have two, three, four, or six months a year with which to explore this land. I spoke to James Brogan, who's a backpacker who's been here for four months. I think with New Zealand, the, the beauty of it is that it's all about how you time your trip. It's an island of contrasts, and I think with the travelling, it just highlights that, that you have to be, uh, be flexible. Uh, if you know what you want to do, sometimes you can wing it, other times, you know, you have to plan ahead. What are some of the best things that you've done in your four months here so far? One of the highlights would have to be this Doubtful Sound Cruise. Another highlight for me has been, this might sound strange, but um, going fishing. Uh, I've never fished. You get yourself a fishing licence. I got given a rug by someone, and it's just been so nice to take myself off to some of these little rivers here and just see the countryside firsthand. No guides, no nothing. Just explore it. Kaikoura was a fantastic place. This came to me with like the weather and everything. You arrive here and it's a horrible day. You can't see the mountains. That evening it clears and you've got the mountains there and you have the sea. What is Kaikoura? Kaikoura, I think it was a fishing or whaling town between Christchurch and Picton on the north, northern east coast. And now it's mainly whale watching, dolphin spotting and such like. But you have this mountain range that almost goes to the sea and that is quite a spectacular thing to see. And it's another absolutely smashing day. There is hardly a cloud in the sky. It's really warm in the sunshine. And I'm driving through glorious mountainous landscape again, heading to Wanaka, which is a bit nearer Queenstown, where I started off this trip. Wanaka is uh, a gateway to another national park where I hope to do some more walking. And uh, really, I haven't got very many plans, which is one of the lovely things about being here. I'm just going to turn up see what's on offer, see what I feel like and know that pretty much at this time of the year I can rock up anywhere and and do whatever takes my fancy. I'm at the foot of Mount Aspiring which is a vast mountain in Mount Aspiring National Park. Lots of the best one day walks leave from the Matakatuki Valley which is about 50 kilometres outside Wanaka. I've uh, come up here and I'm going to attempt the Rob Roy Valley Track which is a three or four hour return walk which takes in some of the best scenery around here. Well I'm glad I brought my lunch because it's been a tough climb but well worth it because the Rob Roy Valley Track has shown me some of the most fantastic scenery around here. It's a it's again it's a wonderful day it's blue skies few clouds, the sun's beaming down but not too hot, it's perfect tramping weather. And I think I'm going to sit down now and have my sandwich and just admire this fantastic view. I've got another couple of hours going down, maybe an hour and a half. And after that, it's uh, a couple of hundred kilometres to my next stop, which is Dunedin. So this is the Dunedin Middlemarch uh, singles ball. 
Uh, we've just got off the train. We boarded a train in Dunedin. It's a beautiful old uh, Pullman uh, train, early 20th century train. It was a train ride up here. It uh, was highly eventful, full of very uh, up-for-it Kiwis. The ratio of men to women is about probably 80 or 90% women to 10% or 20% men. We've just got off at Middlemarch after a beautiful ride through uh, green hills for about two hours heading out of Dunedin. And here we are, we've just got off the train and there's a fashion show that's been organised by Dryzerbone, the people who make uh, outdoor equipment. And really it's kind of, it's, it's going off, it's full of uh, girls who are really dressed up, lots of them masked because it's a masked ball. And a few nervous-looking men who are kind of shuffling around and juggling the coins in their pocket and looking around in trepidation, really. Well, it's last song at the Middlemarch Ball, and everyone's heading back towards the train. And it seems like everyone had a good time. Lots of beer, lots of booze flowed. Uh, lots of people who came alone are leaving now uh, with friends, so... I think it. I think it was a good night. It was all good. Hopefully, lots of these uh, uh, women who are here in New Zealand starved for men. Hopefully, they've they found what they're looking for. I've driven north from Dunedin, and I've arrived in Christchurch, which is the largest city on the South Island. It feels like a pretty cosmopolitan place. Lots of history around. It was settled in 1850, apparently on the orders of the Church of England, who were getting a bit worried about how lawless and scruffy the new colony was becoming, and they wanted to build a model of Victorian England with fewer pubs and more churches and austere greystone architecture. But thankfully, this city has developed a life of its own, and there's lots of cafes and bars and restaurants in fact, it probably has some of the best restaurants this far south on the planet, as well as a really nice cafe culture. There's also some great museums. There's the Antarctic Centre, which is an interactive museum devoted to that vast frozen continent due south of here. And there's the Canterbury Museum, which is a museum of New Zealand's history. And then there's the Four Winds Marae, which is the largest meeting hut, the largest Maori meeting hut in New Zealand, which I think must make it the largest Maori meeting hut in the world. But no one, I think, comes all the way to New Zealand just to visit the museums. So tomorrow I'm going to drive around the coast, north-west of here, and visit Abel Tasman National Park, which is another huge wildlife and marine park on the northwest coast of the South Island. And hopefully the weather's going to hold, because I've booked myself in for two days of kayaking. Well, it's 8am, and I've driven over to Kai Terry Terry, which is a small town on the fringes of Abel Tasman National Park. Kai Terry Terry apparently means food quickly, quickly in Maori. Well, I've uh, met up with the people who are going to take me kayaking, and I've seen the kayak that I'm going to be uh, travelling around in. It's a, it's a sea kayak, uh, about 15 foot long, uh, with two space for two oarsmen in it, so someone will be rowing at the front and someone at the back. And it's got a rudder at the back so you can steer it. And the person, the rear oarsman, steers it with two foot pedals under uh, his or her left or right feet. Um, I think what we're going to do is load the kayaks onto a speedboat and then 
were going to be taken out around um, the coastline, deep into the park, and that's where we're going to start our kayaking. It's a beautiful day. It's baking hot, and we've just come for a bit of a swim with the seals after our lunch. They're everywhere. They're so tame. It's fantastic. They, they don't seem like they're bothered by us being here at all. Well, we've arrived in our campsite after the first day of kayaking. We arrived at about 4.30, 4 o'clock this afternoon at about a two-kilometre stretch of pristine yellow sand beach backed by huge hills covered in forests, really dense forest without a road or even a path in them at all. The whole beach where we're going to spend the night tonight, the campsite, is completely secluded. There won't be a road or a footpath leading off it. I think the only way that you could get here is by boat. In fact, there's a motor taxi just uh, pulling up, uh, drawing up by the side of the uh, beach. There's one other sailing boat which is pulled into a, the end of the beach with a family on it. But apart from that, this it's just going to be us about 20 or so of us camping here. We've just come back from our two-day kayaking. We've just the second got off our kayaks and I'm sat here with Matt Jones who was doing it with me. How did you enjoy that, Matt? Yeah, it was good, yeah. Yeah? Quite a good laugh. Was this on your list of things yeah. that you wanted to do yeah, in yeah. New Zealand? Uh, this, the, uh, the cave-in in, in the North Island and uh, a bit of whitewater rafting, so I've done all three now. So how are you getting around New Zealand? You, you've got a, uh, like a pass on a bus, how does that work? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm travelling on a stray bus, there's three main types, there's a Kiwi Experience bus, uh, the Magic bus and stray bus, basically they just uh, hop on, hop off, so you buy a ticket which suits your destinations type thing, there's all various types. During the summer they run each day, it's best to check whether the next bus is available because you might end up staying there a few days longer than like, you anticipated but if time's not a problem don't really matter How long are you going to be here for? Passes on the stray run for a year Oh right So you can just take as long as you like Lots of the stings been taken out of flying to the other side of the world now that you can stop off in some other great cities along the way Los Angeles is en route to New Zealand as is Singapore Bangkok Hong Kong and most airlines don't mind if you take some time on your way out or your way back to explore those other cities. The flight itself isn't expensive. I thought it was going to be much more expensive than it actually is, but looking around I found some flights on the internet for as little as £609, and that's including all taxes. The pound at the moment is trading at about 2.7 New Zealand dollars. And by my calculations, I think I can have a pretty good time on about 100 New Zealand dollars a day. So that's, that's around £30, a little bit more, £35 a day is my budget. Car hire is very cheap once you get over there, which is good because there's lots of areas of real wilderness and I want to get right out there off the beaten track. You can hire your, your own car for about $40 a day, which is less than 15 quid. That's it for the South Island. Join me in part two as I travel to the North Island to go on a high-wire adventure, spend a day volunteering on an environmental project, and learn a few Maori greetings.
To download part two, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash travel forward slash experience New Zealand. You've been listening to the New Zealand Uncovered podcasts. To find out more, visit newzealand.com. Guardian Unlimited.